0: Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is Sarah Porter, like he just said. I've been attending Norfew since I was in third grade, so a little bit over 15 years now, which is crazy to think about. Um, I help out with the children's ministry, and I absolutely love it. When I started here, obviously, I was in third grade, so I started in children's, and it was such like a wonderful place to start because it was a spot where I learned so much and I was able to grow my faith. And be able to have those leaders and Shannon, who was the pastor at the time, and be able to just lean on that and be able to learn from that. And so now being able to transition and being able to help out with kids, it's able to be the reverse person now and be able to help people, help kids, to be able to un- help them understand God and the Lord. It's such a wonderful thing to see that through the eyes of the kids to be able to help them understand it and be able to just open up their eyes and they're able to see it and it's very cool. So if you're feeling like you want to join me or the other leaders, you can talk to Shannon or another pastor or someone (laughs) that wants to join and um, I would love to be able to work with you or help with you as well. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples.
1: Yes, Um, We have been in a series on prayer, and today we're picking up on that, and We talk about prayer so often when we think of prayer, it's, we think of it as being, you know, things that we, we ask God for stuff, to bail us out or to do things for us and all the rest of that. And and while they're definitely, He's a good God and He loves to give us gifts and He loves to, uh, to bail us out and He loves to be present to us in those ways. In this series, what we're really leaning into though is the reality that, that prayer is a way of communion with God as we've been talking about the last few weeks, that God is a God who dwells with us and, and wants to be near to us. And, and prayer is how we commune with him. It's how we, we stay in, in, in fellowship with him. And it's that God is right here and he's dwelling with us. And you know, and two weeks ago, I, I reminded us again that Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. And he tells the church there that he is standing outside the door and he's knocking, not talking to non-Christians, he's talking to people in the church, saying, I stand at the door and I knock. And I'm saying, let me in. This is Jesus speaking to the church saying, I'm outside and I'm knocking. And he says, let me in. I want to share a meal with you and I want to be your friend. And so today, the title of this message is Practicing the Presence of God. It's a phrase that was coined by Brother Lawrence uh, a number of years ago. But the subtitle for today could basically be how to dwell with God. Uh, and this is going to be part one of a two-part message, and if you're here today or you're watching online, please hit the next one we're going to hit, uh, because that, there's going to be some application today, but a lot of the practical outworking is going to be in part two. But I want to begin the message today with one of my favorite quotes, and of course, wouldn't be surprised, it's by Dallas Willard. Um, but uh, it begins, and he says, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. I love that. In fact, I want to get that made on like a giant sign to put in my office over the thing. I want it like at the foot of my bed to kind of wake up and see every morning. That's our lives should be arranged in such a way. And and this quote comes out of one of the, the most challenging books I've ever read. If you've ever read the book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping, it's one of the most challenging books that anytime I read it, it just kind of hits right to the heart uh, of dealing with, with with my soul and at the very center of what God is dealing with. And in this book, it's written by John Ortberg, who was uh, he's a well known pastor who was a uh, was mentored by Dallas Willard for years. And this quote, I want, to, I want to read an extended passage from this, because the context for this, what we're, we're talking about today, and in the, the context, John is going to be talking specifically about his vocation, which is being a pastor, but what he's saying applies literally to anyone who's a follower of Jesus, right, to anyone whose life is full and has people that are around them, whether you're a teacher, or a homeschool mom, whether you're a computer coder, it doesn't matter what you do, it's relevant in all circumstances. And so I, I want to read the context of this quote, a bit of, again, a bit of an extended quote. And so John Ortberg says he's heading to Dallas because he was dealing with a bunch of other stuff. And he says, I had a whole day to spend with Dallas Willard. I told him that I felt frustrated because the people at the church I served were not changing more. I asked him what I needed to do to help our church experience greater levels of spiritual growth. Long pause from Dallas, which was normal. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Huh? I responded, No, I corrected him. I wasn't asking about me. I was asking about other people. I was wondering what I need to do to make the church do. I was thinking about maybe a book that everyone should read or or a program everyone should go through or, or maybe a prayer system everyone should commit to. Yes, Brother John Dallas said. He said with great patience and care. I know you were thinking of those things, but that's not what they need the most. The main thing you will give to your congregation or to your family or to your friends or to those you're around just like the main thing you will give to God is the person you become. If your soul is unhealthy, you can't help anybody. You don't send a doctor with pneumonia to care for patients with immune disorders. You and nobody else are responsible for the well-being of your soul. I- I'm trying, John said. I learned long ago about the importance of having a quiet time. And-, and when I read the Bible and do daily devotions, he says, I do my best to start each morning that way, Dallas. Dallas responds, I didn't say anything about having a quiet time. He gently corrected me. People in churches, including pastors, he said, have been crushed with guilt over their failure at having a regular quiet time or daily devotions. And then even when they do, they often find it does not actually lead to a healthy soul. Your problem, John, he said, is not the first 15 minutes of your day that you would spend in a quiet time. It's the next 23 hours and 45 minutes. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. But how can I have total contentment, he asked, and joy and confidence? He says, my, my work isn't going nearly well enough. Lots of people aren't happy with me. I'm, in an adi- I'm inadequate as a pastor, as a father, and as a husband. Every week I carry the burden of delivering a sermon and knowing that I'm going to feel the pain when it doesn't go well. Here he finishes. Dallas says this. We'll throw that quote up here. Dallas says, I didn't say you should experience total contentment, joy, and confidence. Here is, in the remarkable adequacy of your competence or the amazingly successful circumstances of your life. It's total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life or experience with God. This alone is what makes a soul healthy. This is not your wife's job. It's not your elder's job. It's not your children's job. It's not your friend's job. It's your job. Amen? Now, We could unpack that for for years of discipleship, what he's just describing there. I mean, that's like not 101, that's like a 501 level, the depth of where you can go with that. A lifetime discipleship that our contentment and joy and confidence be in our everyday experience with God. We're experiencing his life all throughout the day. Not just in the mornings, but at all times of the day. That we are to dwell dwell with God and and live in the reality of our communion with him. Now, I've actually put that full quote, if you're interested in our sermon discussion questions online, if you go through the sermon discussion, just go to our website under messages, sermon resources, you'll get that along with the notes and the sermon discussion questions for this week. But I love this so much that dwelling with God is so much more than just a quiet time or or daily devotions or weekly or monthly for some of us. Though that's an important way to start the day, the, the time I spend in the Word in the morning and in prayer every single morning is, is so essential to my time with God. But the way I see that, it's kind of like the warming up of the engine before the race or before the drive. Or it's kind of like the stretching before running out and doing exercise or a race. It's, it's, it's that warm-up place to, to get the engine running for the rest of that time, the rest of the daily encounter with God. But we must arrange our, dies, our days, arrange our lives so that we experience joy and and. and, and Confidence and contentment in our everyday life with God. That Jesus is the center of our lives and not just when we check in on him every few days. You know, I've been on a journey, I would say for about 11 years on this, and I've talked about my testament story before, but about 11 years ago, my whole life kind of got thrown upside down. And prior to that, I saw time with God um, much more as just like a quiet time or, or a daily or weekly devotional. It was, or, or going to church, where you go to a place, you fill up on God, and you take what you get, maybe that bread, whatever it is, and then you walk out and you go about your day, and you head back into the real world. And then maybe the next morning, if you're doing well, you go back into the presence of God again. You have your quiet time, you go to church, and then you go back into the world again and hope what you had is enough to make it through the day. Kind of like a camel filling up with water, right, for a journey. It's just, you take a big gulp and, and you go back out. And for most of my Christian life and and for over a decade of being a a missionary, traveling the world, training pastors and studying the Bible and teaching on Bible schools and running a Bible school, that was my understanding. I need to fill up spend some quality time in God's presence and then go back into the world. And, And that was my understanding and go about my day like a camel filling up with water. But the problem is that's an Old Testament understanding of God. Right, that that we have to go to a temple to meet with God, or go up to some mountain to meet with Him, that He's a specific place that we go to, and then we walk away from Him. But that's not the way that Jesus did, and it's not what God longs for us. That is no longer the case for us. We are New Testament Christians in a new covenant, and now we have the Holy Spirit, as we've been talking about the last few weeks. And He dwells with us. We have continual access to the Father at all times. And yet for most of my life, as a Christian, as a missionary, as a, as a trainer of missionaries, I lived out of an old covenant relationship with God. It took me a long time to figure out that God's desire that his longing for us is that prayer and that dwelling with him should be a normal part of life, not like a, a camel filling up with water, but like a fish in the ocean just surrounded by the water. Or like us with the air that's around us that we breathe that so often we don't even recognize or pay attention to. Completely surrounded and, and inundated by the presence of God wherever we are, that He is with us. And we just need to acknowledge that He is there. You know, my favorite thing in the world of all things in the world is to go scuba diving. Not like the Seattle-style stuff, but like tropical places. I was very fortunate as a missionary; spent a lot of time in incredibly beautiful places. I love warm water scuba diving with fish and whale sharks and eels and all that beautiful thing—the coral. It's the most amazing experience in the world, right? There's nothing better if you ever experienced than, in my opinion, the neutral buoyancy in some tropical waters, just seeing the most amazingly beautiful things on the planet. It's just an incredible experience. And every time, because I traveled a lot, I would go, especially to Southeast Asia. I'd always try and transit through Bangkok and I take a, a few days down south to go uh, scuba diving down in, in, in Thailand where it's super cheap in southern Thailand highly recommend if you're ever in the area or the Philippines or Vietnam somewhere else anyways while, while scuba while scuba diving it's it's an incredible experience but every once in a while especially when I hadn't done it in a while I'd panic and I'd real I'd forget that I had air to breathe right you're underwater you're sitting there and you forget that there's this air hose that's feeding you constant air and the one time I remember more than anything else was, um, I, I think I was in, in Vietnam at the time, but, but we were 100 feet underwater in, 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 a, in a dive, 100 feet underwater. If you, don't, me, if you go 100 feet underwater, it's about an 8 to 10 minute journey back to the top because you have to take these safety stops so you don't get the bends and die potentially, right? And destroy your life. And so it's a little frightening knowing that you don't get to the stop for 10 minutes. And as I was down there, all of a sudden I had a panic attack, 100 feet underwater, not a good place to have one. And uh, I started gasping for air and then I went to hold my breath. And I'm freaking out. I thought I was going to die. And in that moment, as I am sitting there, freaking out underwater and panicking, at that moment, my, my, luckily, our diving instructor sees me freaking out, runs over, swims over to me, grabs a hold of my shoulder, looks me in the eyes, and he's like, thumbs up, and I'm like, thumbs down, thumbs down, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like and he just holding on to me. And then what he does, he grabs a hold of my shoulder, he looks at me, and he just begins to go like this. He goes, breathe in, breathe out. Right? It's like, we're so underwater, breathe in, breathe out. And I'm freaking out. He's just like, he's looking at me, shaking me. He's like, breathe in, breathe out breathe in and i slowly begin to follow his process right just i mean i'm freaking out initially and slowly over a couple minutes i begin to get to that place where i'm breathing normally. my heart rate comes down and i'm back into that place you see i literally forgot to breathe 100 feet underwater, and somehow I forgot there was an air hose connected to me that had fresh air constantly pumping into my mask, and all I could see was the water and the chaos, and knowing I'm 100 feet down, and I freaked out because I forgot the air is right there. Life is right there. And it required my instructor to come and say, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. I could still see his face today. I mean, how dumb is that, 100 feet underwater, to forget that you can breathe? But to me, that's kind of what dwelling with God has been like much of my life. Take a big gulp of water, a big gasp of air, and try to make it through the day. Have a good time of prayer, or read the Word, or something else, and, and just try and, and make it through the day, forgetting that the life-giving reality of Jesus and His Spirit is with me Constantly. I don't have to make it through the day. He's right there every single moment of every day. In fact, it will make it so much better and more beautiful. He sent His Holy Spirit to permanently dwell with us. Not so we can fill up and go out and take a giant gasp, but that we could dwell with Him. Live in the reality of His presence. And that means we have to regularly direct our attention to Him all throughout the day. Underwater, I had to remember, oh yeah, the air is there. I had to consciously, yes, breathe in. Breathe out. Because it's so easy to lose sight of the reality of God's presence with us. When we are aware of his presence, everything comes into alignment. The storms seem to settle when we're aware that God is with us. Our anxiety settles. The sinful desires usually diminish when we're consciously aware that he's right there with us. Anger subsides. Over and over, Paul describes it as be constantly in prayer. And that doesn't mean constantly asking for stuff, just so you know. It means be in communion with God as a default setting. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 puts it this way. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. We as followers of Jesus, we must cultivate a way of life that is increasingly in communion with God through His Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus lived His whole life. We'll look more at that in the, in the next message, but we are called to follow His example. We talk about if we, if we want to actually live in love like Jesus, if we want to increasingly experience his abundant life, we must adopt Jesus' ways of living. If we want to experience his life, we need to adopt his ways of living. And that means living with the constant awareness of the reality of God, attuning our hearts and our minds to him. In fact, this is why the early church fathers developed a practice, I mean, just after the time of the apostles, developed a practice just called called breath prayer that they would regularly do. A way of linking breathing with prayer to keep their hearts aware that they are dwelling with God and Remember, the word for Holy Spirit in Scripture is literally the same word to breathe, right? That's what it says. You say Holy Spirit, you're literally saying to breathe. And so the early church fathers, they they developed this practice called breath prayer, and it was kind of based on Mark chapter 10, verse 47. uh, Blind Bartimaeus saying to Jesus, you know, uh, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, you sinner. And so many early Christians called this the Jesus prayer. And it's it's not something we have to practice today by any means, but it was a way of just linking that breathing in and breathing out as a regular basis, kind of coming back to saying, Jesus, Son of God, as you breathe in and as you breathe out, have mercy on me. And a way of just throughout the day, just Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And that prayer would increasingly become like breathing. It was their way of kind of adopting that practice of praying without ceasing. And over the centuries and millennia, people have adopted it and changed it in different ways. And um, whether it be a scripture that is prayed out or a short prayer for me when i've used it it's primarily it's just one word it's just emmanuel which means god with us and over the years thousands of times i just when things are rough things are struggling and it's like i need that diving instruct looking in my face it's just breathe in emmanuel breathe out god you're with us emmanuel you're with us i've done that thousands of times over the last 10 years of when I, every time it's like, I need that diving instructor right there. Remember, breathe in, breathe out. Lord, you are here with me in the midst of this, in the midst of my trials, in the midst of my struggles, whatever's going on. There's countless forms. Others, just Jesus, thank you that you're here with me. Others, it's the lo- Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd on the way in. I shall not lack on the way out. Just a way of God, you're right here with me. And I need that diving instructor holding on to me and helping me to breathe in and breathe out. Remember that God, you are right here with us. And with that, I want to I just make a side note here. You know, I, I recognize, in fact, since coming to Northfield, I recognize there's a number of people who have um, some qualms or, 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 or concerns about ancient forms of practice that have been done in the church and using ancient forms of spirituality and practice. And, and I get those concerns. There's a lot of weird stuff out there, a lot of bizarre things that, that people are teaching and, and doing. And I've had many people tell me the different things I've said, you know, James, that sounds really new agey. It sounds... Um, you know, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe that, that sounds like maybe, are you trying to empty your mind or something like that? That sounds like weird, weird New Age spiritualism or Eastern mysticism. But things, there's so many beautiful prayer practices used by the early church up till now that, that many Christians have written off because of that, because of something they've heard or fear, because they're wanting to hold the truth, and I get it. There's well, really good reasons to do that, but it, in some ways it breaks my heart because the New Age movement has stolen so much of what the early church has done right? So much of what the early church done has now been adopted by the new age movement and spiritual practices. And now they've claimed that many Christians now look at those things. Oh, that's new age. No, that's the church. Those were given to us by the early church fathers in so many beautiful ways, going all the way back to David in the temple and the tabernacle and the Psalms. And so many things I've had people say, James, you can't do that. I'm like, that's literally what David was doing. Like just because some new age religion stole this doesn't mean we can't do it. We can't ever use a rainbow because someone else had a different idea of what to do with it, right? These are things that were given to us by the people of God over the centuries and millennia. I remember there was one time I was preparing a, a sermon a long time ago, and I had a scented candle going as a way just to kind of remember as that scent was there that God's presence is right here with me. And I had someone say, James, aren't you practicing Buddhist mysticism? I'm like, what? Because they're like, that's incense. I'm like, Do you remember where incense came from? Like God told the people to put it in the temple. Why? So they would literally breathe in and know they're breathing in God's presence. Like that's where it came from. They're like, I thought it was Buddhist. Like, no, this is literally God's command to the people, right? You go to the book of Revelation we saw a couple weeks ago. There is literally incense right now burning in the midst of God's presence. And what is that incense? Literally our prayers, right? God does so much in scripture to have us remember physically in different ways the reality of his presence. And so I, I want to say, I recognize there's a lot of concerns and different things of new age stuff. And yes, we need discernment. Yes, there's a lot of garbage out there. But does it doesn't mean that we should throw something out because, well, it might have been like, go to the root of it. Just use discernment and go to God. And, and I'm not, if you don't feel weird about something like breath prayer, fine, toss it out, don't do it. I'm not here to tr- today to try to teach breath prayer. It's just a way to me that has been really ba- valuable of remembering. It's like that diving instructor, breathe in, breathe out, and it's been valuable for tens of millions of Christians throughout church history. All right, so back to what we're saying. So we are called to cultivate a deeper awareness that we dwell with Christ every moment of every day. And if this isn't a normal practice, it it starts off just remembering Him a few minutes a a day or a few times a day, and just grows from there. To start with one time a day, just putting our thoughts and our attentions to Him. But it's real, Jesus' final prayer before being crucified in John chapter 14, it was completely, and all the way to 17, was centered around dwelling with him through his Holy Spirit. So John 14 says this in verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus says, the Spirit will be with you and in you, right? That is our current reality. And then a couple of verses later, referring to his presence being available through his Holy Spirit, Jesus says it this way in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. What's he referring to there? The presence of the Holy Spirit with him, right? That's what it's referring to, is that Jesus dwells with us through his Spirit, and he brings peace, the peace of Christ. I love that. The peace of Christ dwells with us through His Spirit and brings peace. But how many of us lack peace right now as a default? How many of us are living in a storm of chaos, disappointment, and frustration, and agony, and pain, and suffering? Jesus says His peace is available by His Spirit in the midst of the storm, though. Not once the storm is over, right? Not not when the sickness is done for me it was not when my father would finally get healed or when the new job is finally acquired and you're working and the income's coming in or when the baby is born or whatever that thing is that's chaos when the relationship is finally settled it says he is peace in the midst of that storm present there's peace in the midst of the chaos by dwelling with him I love Paul's words in Romans 12, where he speaks of this. And he says in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Notice it's rejoice in hope, not in present circumstances going well. Rejoice in the hope that is in Christ, not things going well or not going well, but because we have hope in Christ. Next, he makes it clear. He says, be patient in tribulations that means tribulations are not a maybe they are going to be happening and in a prayer isn't just for all tribulation to end but it's be patient in the midst of tribulations because there will be pain and suffering and hardship and storms and in the midst of that hold on to god hold on to hope in him and then the answer is here the next the third command be constant in prayer that's the only way the first two are even remotely possible when we dwell with God in consistent prayer. Don't stop praying continually. Keep your mind set on Christ. It doesn't just mean mumbling the whole day long. But that's the only way to experience peace in the storms, to rejoice in hope and endure trials and suffering and hardship and pain and depression and anxiety and loss of health and loss of circumstances and kids going wild and all the rest of it. To be able to sit in those places and rejoice and patience is when we are constantly living in a state of prayer, of a place of directing our attention lovingly towards Jesus throughout the day. That's what Jesus was praying in John 14. And that leads to one of the most powerful parts of his prayer. Just a few verses later, he says this in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. So now he's going to describe the life that Jesus longs for us to live in here in John 15. A life that he experiences with his own Father. And he says he prays that his fathers will remain in the vine. And a few verses later, verse 4, he puts it this way. Check this out. He says, a very famous passage. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what word is repeated there? Obviously, the word remain. Jesus wants his followers to remain in him. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word for remain is is meno, and it's defined as either being remain, abide, to dwell, or to live. Pick any one of those. We are to dwell with Jesus, is what he's saying. We are to abide with him. We are to remain in him. We are to live in him as a default, as the primary way in which we operate throughout the day. To be with God, aware of his presence. To live in him. Not to take a big gulp of air in the morning, or once a week, or once a month, or a year, if we're just, you know, a, a Christ christian that just goes on christmas and easter and has their two times of connection and then just try to do all the other stuff and then but we're called to be breathing his life and his presence throughout the day the next verse jesus says this i am the vine and you are the branches if you remain in me and i in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. Seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So he starts off and says, if you remain in me, if you dwell with me, if you live with me, what will happen? What does he say? You will bear much fruit. So where does the fruit come from? From dwelling, from being with him, from enjoying him, from being saturated in his presence. That's where the fruit of the Spirit comes from, he says. But then he goes on from there. Oh, no, thank you. Right? (laughs) So fruit is born by dwelling with Jesus. Now we're going to look a lot more at that in part two. But then he goes on to say one of the truths I'd say is more rejected by Christians than anything else that Jesus says. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we may say, oh, that's a great passage. We have it memorized. Apart from you, can do nothing, amen, whatever. But how many of us actually believe that? Because real belief isn't what we say amen to. Real belief is what we live out of. And for the vast majority of Christians, and myself included, we live most of our lives trying to prove Jesus wrong about that statement. Convinced that we can find our own route in a better way. Asking for Jesus to bless our plans, to do our will. Primarily coming to him when we're aware of a need or something that we're lacking and we ask him to bail us out of some mess that we've created. We don't actually believe that. We so often want a Jesus that just fits nicely into our lives where it's convenient, like like an accessory that we put on when we want it. Something that makes us more moral or a better life or blesses us or helps us out when we need it. But most Christians, again, myself at the top of the list, by our actions, don't actually want to abide in Christ all the time. We want Jesus to be like the force in Star Wars, right? where It's there when we need it. It does what we want it to do. It serves our purposes. It obeys our will. The key thing, we are the ones in control. We often don't want to abide with Jesus. We'd rather visit with him in the morning, sometimes, maybe on a Sunday or every other time, to visit with him, to invite him in for a visit, instead of actually living and dwelling with us. Why? Because if we're honest, we don't actually want Jesus to influence all of our life. We don't want him to influence how much media we're consuming or the kind of media that we're consuming. We don't want him to convict us of how we use our time by him being there with us. We don't want him to make us talk to our neighbor about him or maybe he'll make us go pray for them and that's just be really awkward. We, We don't want him there for that conversation. We don't want him there when we're up late at night staring at our phone and temptations to look at porn or something else. We don't want him when we're talking to in-laws or relatives we don't like to be there because he might make us forgive him we don't want him there we're thinking through our finances and our budgeting and we're thinking it's mine and because he might say you know maybe you should give the first fruits of that to your church or maybe you should you know not go on that vacation instead use that money for someone who's hurting or or not buy upgrade to that newest gadget that you need i think the apple conference what is next week and some of us are following already saying we don't even know what's being released we already know we need it Or maybe we don't want him telling us how to treat our spouse or how to deal with our kids when they just keep saying stuff they want stuff. Or Maybe we don't want him telling us how we should spend our retirement. Why? Because we want full control. We want to invite Jesus into the areas of our life that we desire to change in. But we want to be in control. We, want to see, we see Jesus like a guest that we invite into our house where we set the parameters hear this church. And so most of the time, where is Jesus? As Revelation says, he's outside knocking. saying, let me in. I want to share a meal with you, he says. I want to be your friend, is what he says in Revelation. That wasn't just the church of Laodicea. It's the church of Seattle, of Mill Creek, the church of the Lunhouse. So often. Be honest, how many of us can relate to that? treating him like a guest that we invite in when it's convenient for us rather than dwelling with him but jesus says he's the vine he's the root he's our source of life he wants to he wants us to experience this life that but he must be the one in control so we must seek him why because apart from him we can do nothing that brings life whether we believe it or not or live it out or not it's true we can do a whole lot of things that don't bring life, but we need him every moment of every day if we want to experience his life, especially when we don't think we need him. We think we got it. We're like, I'm good. You, we'll see you next week. He even finishes this section of verse eight by saying, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So how will we show to be his disciples? By bearing fruit. How do we bear fruit? By dwelling with him. The mark of a disciple is someone who dwells with Jesus, who abides in him. It's what we were created for. It's central to our calling. And the more time we spend with him, the more our lives reflect him and his beauty and his life and his love. Church, are we rooted in Christ? Are we abiding in him? How much of our day are we continuously and consciously aware that God is with us how much of our day is spent with our thoughts directing towards the reality of God with us, Emmanuel? Or are we just taking big gulps of air daily or weekly or sporadically and trying to get through the day? Are we consciously breathing in and breathing out the reality of God's presence with us? And what would that even look like if we did? I'll be honest, when this I was first exposed to this a long time ago, I didn't even have a grid for this. This wasn't the way I grew up understanding it and I was first confronted with it, and it just seemed confusing. And there's an incredible book I, I read by um, Brother Lawrence. There's a, a book that's it's called Practicing the Presence of God. It's just a collection of this he didn't write. It, it's just a bunch of letters he wrote to people they collected in some conversations. But Brother Lawrence's name was actually Nicholas. He lived in the 1600s. He was uh, a soldier, a very poor soldier, who in war uh, got an injury to his leg, and so had a limp, and eventually, um, and with a lot of pain, eventually decided to become a monk. And, and while there in, in a monastery, um, his his primary job almost all day was just peeling vegetables, the most mundane task imaginable. And and it's an incredible story as he as he writes them. I mean, tens of millions of these have been sold over the years uh, to Christians. But it only literally only takes about an hour to read if you, you want to grab a copy. There's no modern English version available of it. But basically, he said that he wanted to devote his life to experiencing God's presence, right? Not, not in some weird way, but just devoting his life to, as a monk to being able to be aware that God is with him in all circumstances and all situations. And he says that he wanted what he called a general loving awareness of God as a default. An ongoing community, to be constantly in prayer, as Paul says. He literally took Jesus' word seriously. And specifically in reorganizing God's, or recognizing God's presence in the mundane and and the peeling of potatoes. And then when his leg got too hurt and he couldn't stand any longer, he used to sit and mend sandals while he was there. But whatever that is, the mundane activity, for us it may be maybe in the writing of computer code or in the holding an infant in the middle of the night. Maybe it's in, in the watching a Mariners game or sitting in traffic or mowing a lawn or making dinner for kids who just, you know, will not want to eat it. You just think, like, what the point am I doing? What is the whole point of this, right? Uh, going to the bathroom, whatever the activity is, buying groceries, whatever mundane activity. And, and he says this in the book. I love this quote. He says, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer, right? So what I'm doing in the activity is the same thing as my times of prayer, and in the noise and clutter of my kitchen, while the several persons are at the same time calling for different things, he's in this, this communal kitchen, people are running everywhere, there's noise, there's all this activity going on. He says, he says, I possess God as great tranquility as if I were on my knees at the blessed sacrament. He's saying in the midst of the chaos of life, in the midst of all the things going on in the kitchen, all these things happening, he's like, for me, that is as peaceful as a time as though I'm literally sitting with the Lord and having communion in a quiet room. Because I want to possess God in that way that my thoughts go to Him in the midst of just peeling potatoes all day long. That's so good. Now, I I have no interest in becoming a monk. Probably most of you don't want to either, and that's great. But this has been my continual aim for the last decade, just to continue to, to grow in this. I'll talk more about that in the next one, but I want for prayer to become increasingly a way of life for me increasingly abiding and dwelling with Him. And of the last 12 years, it's been radically different in my life as a result. But I want to breathe in His life as an increasing reality, to just spend more and more time throughout the days and the nights in the midst of whatever activity I'm engaging in. And so why does this matter so much? Well, one, it's literally what we were created for. We were created to dwell with God. Not just to acknowledge He exists, not just have a couple dips in the pond a week, but to dwell with Him. Right, That's the difference between the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they would, have in, they would go to the temple to meet with him. Now, in the New, we dwell with him, yet so few Christians actually have that as their default. We live out so much more of the Old Testament understanding, even with the Holy Spirit here present with us. So we dwell with him, but number two, why does this matter? Because who we spend, who we spend time with shapes what we become and who we become. You know, we're going to talk more about this in the next one, but as Christians, we are called to live in love like Jesus, right? We are called to apprentice after Christ, to live in love like Him, to experience His life. And who we spend time with shapes who we become. I mean, how many of you can point to someone who radically impacted your life because you spent time with them? For me, it was my old youth pastor, Ken Nelson, and a man who just loved Jesus. It was so evident in his life, and the more time I spent time with him, the more it rubbed off on me, you could say, as his passion became my passion. His zeal became my zeal. My life began to change because of the influence of this man being around him. It literally made me want to experience more of his life and the way he was experiencing life, radically changing my own life today. Or how many times do you see the reverse? Being around people that are, not living an abundant life. And it takes us that way. Parents, how many times you watch kids that get a different friend group and all of a sudden kids that were kind and compassionate just begin to become a different person as they begin to spend time with those kids. And their lives reflect their life. Or you send a kid off to college who was this wonderful, Jesus-loving, happy-go-lucky person and they, they come back. You don't even recognize them. Depressed and frustrated and questioning their identity and so many things and who they are, deconstructing. We are formed by the things we spend time with it's easy for us to see it in other people but it's true for each of us as well what are we saturating in people where's our heart and our mind as a default what is what's filling our head and our thoughts for many of us we spend far more time on social media or news sites or podcasts or talking heads entertainment than we do with jesus And these things are shaping our minds and hearts more than anything that we ever do to spend time with Him. We are formed by these things that we spend time with. And if we feel that filling our heads hours a day of political commentary or news cycles and think it doesn't impact our lives, we are fooling ourselves. If we think hours a day on social media, reading what others are frustrated and angry about and criticizing this person and gossiping about that person and filling our minds with outrage and angst or, or maybe inane, mindless entertainment like just binging Netflix constantly, if we think that isn't forming us, we are lying to ourselves. Who or what we spend time with forms us and shapes us. And Jesus calls us to dwell with him through his spirit, for the spirit to shape us as we walk in the spirit. I mean, how many of us are struggling with addictions or habits or secret sins or disordered desires or anxiety or stress or or anger or criticism where our mind is is naturally moving towards ways that do not lead to life and abundance? Most of us can identify with that. I know of no practice I've ever encountered more central in realigning our hearts and our minds and our souls than in practicing the presence of God. Whereas Brother Lawrence describes it, he says, a simple attentiveness and a general loving awareness of God. Remembering he's there, looking at the diving instructor. Breathe in, breathe out. It's not trying to conjure up a feeling. It's not trying to sense God. It's not trying to get the touchy-feely, heebie-jeebies, arms going up on the end of your hair. It's not some experience that we're trying to, 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 to attain to. Though that often comes, it's simply being aware that he's right here, right now, whether we see or feel him or not. Putting our attention to him, redirecting our heart to him in the midst of all circumstances, any circumstance. Whether I'm frustrated with my kids or my spouse, and and I remember in the midst that, Jesus, thank you that you are here. Just redirect my attention to him. All of a sudden, everything changes in that dynamic. It totally changes the way i involve with my wife, my kids. Everything changes. Maybe I'm in the middle of looking at porn or or, or getting drunk with alcohol or or doing something else that is a a painful path that I'm walking down in the middle of it. Thank you, Jesus. You're right here with me. Just a brief acknowledgement. Oh, God, I know you're here. You know what happens? Instantly, I realize he's right there with me. It's like that diving instructor holding on to me, saying, breathe with me, and all of a sudden, I can, uh, circumstances completely change. You know, some of my most powerful prayers over the years have been the times of my greatest sin and brokenness, just acknowledging he's there right in the midst of my worst possible decisions. Or maybe it's while talking to someone that you don't want to be talking with. You find them annoying, you know, someone that just won't shut up, might be talking to me, um, and you say, Jesus, you're here, right? And, it's like that diving instructor again saying, breathe in and breathe out. And as you do that, it's like your entire persona and attitude towards that person changes in that moment. You just remember, oh yeah, God, you're here. Oh yeah, there's air in this tank. And all of a sudden, instead of, when are they going to stop talking? It's, Lord, help me to hear what they're trying to say. Lord, what are you doing in this person's life? Jesus, I want to partner with you. And everything in that moment changes. If I'm reading the news and getting all worked up and outrage is riding up and how could they and what's going on and, Lord, you're right here. In that moment, just instantaneously, Lord, you're here. What changes? My thoughts of fear and being overwhelmed all of a sudden begin to dissipate. And I say, Lord, what what do you think about this? All of a sudden, everything changes. We remember that God's with us. Everything changes. The Spirit moves. We give Him access. It's incredible. Again, it's like that diving instructor being right there. My buddy Al, he says, I can teach you all you need to know in 30 seconds about prayer. He says, take all those thoughts that you have about talking about yourself, the self-talk, the, all the things you say throughout the day. Maybe it's, it's, it's negative self-talk. Maybe it's just mundane kind of things you're talking about. Maybe it's annoyance and the driver who's in front of you going too slow. Maybe it's about your kids, about your wife. Maybe it's something about your job, whatever's going on. You always have that constant running frame. You just take all those thoughts that are within your own head and just imagine Jesus sitting right next to you and just direct those to him. That's prayer. All throughout the day, just directing that to him, saying, Lord, you are right here with me. The more we consciously direct our attention and loving awareness of his presence, the more, as Paul says, that we walk in the Spirit, as we walk in step with him, allow him to direct our steps, the more our lives will conform to his. So as we finish up this morning, I want to give us some homework as we wait for part two. And for the next couple of weeks, if it's not already your current practice, I want, I want to encourage you multiple times a day, intentionally put your attention on the God who is near. As I started, honestly, it was just a few times a day. Brother Lawrence talks about it. He started off just once an hour, I want to be able to put my attention on God. And over the years went on, he's like, okay, once a minute, but that's as a monk going full time. For me, it would just be like three times a day. I want to be able to do this. And it's moved on through. And now, now it's countless times throughout the day that I do this of being aware of him on better days, but it's just going there. And likely, luckily we have three that are just kind of built in that are, are easy to do if, if you have meals. And we kind of have the practices, a lot of Christians of praying before you eating. And that's great. I've never really understood the point of praying for a, a blessing over the food, which is kind of the way we pray, which has always been kind of weird to me. I mean, I know that we respect gratitude. I find it funny when we look at, you know, we go to a restaurant, we look at our food and we say, oh Lord, bless this Big Mac, right? And say, Lord, take this Big Mac and giant French fries and super-sized Coke and somehow turn these 3,000 calories of saturated fat into a blessing for my soul in this human temple you've given me, right? That's a weird thing to pray. Lord, do a miracle right now. I May mean, you take this like Costco pizza and somehow turn all of this into quinoa and grapes and... And, and kale within my temple lord may you may you bless my body with what i'm about to eat right that's kind of a weird way that we, we kind of pray in some ways but um we should be grateful yes but when i use prayer mealtimes at prayer the, the focus for me of that prayer you sit with me as a meal i mean yes lord thank you but it's or the focus for me is lord thank you that you are here with us right now thank you for the people that are at this table with us lord may we be aware of your presence be aware of what you want to do, right? If you're a sabbath, this is what I'm almost always praying. May be aware of, uh, of, of what we're doing. May be aware of what one another's doing. May you grow us in our, our attention towards you and towards one another. And may we be, both be drawn to you and towards one another, right? Not some rope prayer, but just something along those lines of, Lord, may we be aware of your presence right now. And may we recognize the holy, beautiful reality that we get to gather together as a meal and and come before you as a body, Lord. Bless this incredible time we have together, right? That's the focus to me of those. We're not saying you need to follow my example. That's one way that I do it. You have those three chances already built into the day if you just take advantage of each of those times. Just three times a day will change your life if you don't do this. Three times a day redirecting your thoughts to him will change your life. And then only imagine what hundreds beyond that could do. As you grow, and it might take you a few decades or not, maybe not till eternity, but that's one way. Take it just a few times. Another way I want to say to build this habit is a really practical way that anyone could do, and if you don't know how to do it, just ask your kids. Um, and that is just set a timer, a silent timer on your phone that buzzes every two or three hours. That's it. And every two or three hours, it's a way of just saying, Oh Lord, thank you that you're here. And you reset it. Oftentimes that'll go off in the places where you're getting frustrated and worked up, and you're like, Thank you, Jesus you're here. If you set that out going off every two, three hours just during the daytime, not during the night, your kids can show you how to do it if you don't know It's really simple. Just remembering, Lord, you're here. Thank you, Jesus. But like any spiritual practice or discipline, it's a habit that requires intentional effort. And so I want to read this final quote by, by, by Dallas. He says, the first and most basic thing we can do and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God, right? All the time, this is what we're doing. But these are habits. Here it is. Not the law of gravity. And they can be broken. New habits can be formed. A new grace filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, He will become the pole star of our inward beings. Oh, that's so good. I know there's some of us, many of us, that already do this as a normal practice, name and even keep on going, but for the rest of us, I want to encourage us to cultivate the habit. Of putting our attention towards God throughout the day of increasingly recognizing he is there of looking to him as we breathe in and breathe out it can be done in any form for me primarily it's just instantaneously all throughout the day countless times just thank you lord that you're here just thank you father you're here in all circumstances time i fr- frustrated or get angry oh lord thank you that you're here but when things are really difficult and anxiety overwhelms me or things are really hard i got some crazy stuff out this morning and multiple times it's just oh lord what are you doing what are you doing? What are you doing? That's when it's like, I need that diving instructor grabbing onto me. Breathe in and breathe out. And that's honestly one of my favorite times to do a breath prayer. It's like, okay, Lord. Jesus, I need you. Right? Breathe in as so you just breathe in Jesus. Breathe out. I need you right now. Breathe in Jesus. I need you right now. So we finish, I want to just do a breath prayer together. If you find that weird, just pray your own way. But so you finish this morning. We're just going to breathe in as you breathe in. Don't say it out loud. Just breathe in. Just say, Jesus, as you breathe out, say, Jesus, thank you that you are here. Breathe in, Jesus. Breathe out. Thank you that you're here. Don't say it out loud. Just inside, in your heart, it's a prayer direct to Him. Don't be weird. Just prayer to the Lord So you breathe in with your breath. The Holy Spirit says, the name Spirit literally means to breathe. So you breathe the Holy Spirit just, Jesus, thank you that you are right here. Thank you that you're right here. Do that three times together. Just direct your attentions to God right now. Breathe in. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here. Father, thank you that you are here. Thank you that your greatest longing is to dwell with us. There's no place we can run that you are not. You created us to be with us, Jesus. And so often we leave you outside. So often we treat you like you're still stuck in a temple somewhere. You're an invited guest that needs an invitation. Jesus, we want to dwell with you. We want our lives to conform to yours. Jesus, grow us in the habit, grow us in the practice of putting our attention to you in the midst of driving, in the midst of work, in the midst of coding, in the midst of feeding, in the midst of eating, in the midst of all aspects of life. Grow us, Lord, and capture our attention more and more. We want to experience your life. We want to dwell with you as a default, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord us in our awareness. We want your peace. We want your presence, whether we feel it or not. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here and you never leave us. Amen.